What's up, everybody? Welcome to Draft Chaff. This is episode number 127. My name is Zach. I'm one of your hosts. And joining me, as per usual, Ben Fisher. What's up, dude? Not too much. It's been a pretty good week. Actually, we're on our way to our local game store right now. What are you doing in the recording studio? We're in the car right now. No, no, I know we are. But before we get into our crazy banter, I did want to run the listener through our usual housekeeping. Of course, if you're not already in the Discord, check that out. It's the best place to be to chat with us, chat with the rest of the Traficionado community, and post your deck list, post your trophies. We'd love to celebrate with you. Link to that is in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page. And if you'd like to support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. Huge, huge thanks to all of our patrons who continue to support us each and every week. You all rock. Perks over there include things like our Draft Doctor series, stickers, show notes, pre-show recordings, and our Draft Draft Hero cards signed by Ben and I and sent right to you. And again, you can check that out at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. We are going to skip our crack a draft type thing this week for something a bit different. And back to the car. All right, folks, let's get into our cracker pack. We've actually got a nice paper pack here. Hopefully you can hear all those random pack opening noises. So uh, let's let's check this pack out. Now, this is a, uh, a set booster pack, so uh, we're going to have a bit of a weird distribution. Oh, pretty cool uh, schematic art. I don't know what that's supposed to be. Is that a millstone? I don't think so. I have no idea what that is. That is uh, Mystic Forge. Oh, that's kind of cool. All right, first card of the pack is a swamp. Get out of here. Uh, first card of the pack is Bitter Reunion. This card's good. <laughs> I actually liked it, yeah. it's. It, I've seen it used against me. Uh, it's one of those cards that sits on the battlefield that you're just like, when they activate that, I probably lose. Yeah. Um, otherwise, it's a nice little rummage effect. I mean, we've talked about Mutt being such a good card in this format, and mm-hmm. part of the reason is because it does the rummage thing, and, well, this does that for the same amount of mana. It's pretty valuable. Yeah, and just getting to string together a few extra cards in the late game, it kind of it gets you to hopefully whatever your plan is. Because there's definitely a point in this set. This one doesn't have as many like inherent card advantage mechanics as some sets do. It doesn't have like lesson learn. It doesn't have like uh, well, unearth isn't quite the same as like a flashback or uh, disturb type mechanic where you actually get to keep the card that sticks around. So this one, it actually just you know, draws you a few cards, and that's pretty good. And then, yeah, sometimes in the late game, you just, or your opponent plays two creatures in the same turn, and then you're like, wait a minute, I'm yeah. dead. Yeah. Uh, just kidding, we're going to take Overwhelming Remorse, because <laughs> this card, card is awesome. Time. Have you ever opened, if you've exiled something for one black mana, just, with, and there's stuff with Unearth, there's yeah. massive artifacts that are like 10 mana, and you answer it for one for good. Yeah, That's it's pretty ridiculous. Yeah, just do that. Next up is Stern Lesson. That's the two and a blue instant. Draw two, discard one, make a tap Power Stone. It's fine. Like yeah. I play it in the draw two deck. Um, haven't really solid gotten red, blue red. Yeah, I haven't gotten the triumph blue red, but it feels like it'd be good. <laughs> the fall of Krug. So we're, we're done with our commons already. We, we tried to get a draft booster. They just didn't have any boxes. Yeah, they don't or exist packs. anymore. Yeah. So uh, this one is just. Well, there's a lot of X ones, but this one's still just stone unplayable. Ooh, Junkyard Genius. Uh, that's the uh, the vector signpost for Black Red. This card's great. I mean, do you first pick Junkyard Genius? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I totally would at this point. Okay. I, I mean, hopefully, I, I'd hope for something a little more exciting. But I think this card is just that good in Black Red that like the EV of taking I mean, it is worth it. Yeah, I mean, I, that's what kind of what I was getting at from a from a taking a multicolor card first pick thing. Oh yeah, it's it's just that just good. Take it and hope to hope to end up in Black Red. This card is one of those ones where if you see it on your opponent's side, you don't really have good context clues to understand how close to being dead you are. 
That's true. Because you don't know the cards in their hand. You don't know, like, what's going to ETB to make an artifact that then they can pump this and, like, give a lot of stuff haste. And the haste in Menace is actually really important, too. Like, giving the stuff haste is... Yeah. I mean, because it's also giving Menace, you're getting hit with basically an unblockable extra creature or two, depending on how they land this. So, right. yeah, Genius is awesome. Uh, Arbalist Engineers isn't bad either. That's our next one. I, there's a lot of X-1s in this format. So just a 3-mana 2-2 two, two, ETV ping down their, I mean, half of their Scrapwork cohort, like the 3-1 half. It's pretty good. Yep. Wow, just a lot of vector signposts here. There's Battery Bearer. Uh, I mean, out of the three of them, we've opened them in, in descending order of power <laughs> because uh, this one this one can be awesome, but it's just leading you to do something that I don't think the format is very conducive to. I just think you'd rather be beating down. That's probably true. A format of 3-4 is actually, like, solid in this format, though. Yeah, that's true. So I think I think it's a pretty solid card. I just don't think... Th I haven't found the blue-green vector that works yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean... You can ramp, you can do the big payoff stuff with the Rust Goliaths and the, uh, the, the, the clone version. There's stuff you can do, but I just prefer the beatdown stuff so far. Our next card is Urza's Workshop. This one isn't in the normal set. This is like the, uh, the, the extra new Tron land, I guess because it's a, a weird booster. We got weird stuff, but this one, it, it has Metalcraft. You, uh, so, so this is a weird card. It's a really weird card. Uh, it's a land. This, the, the subtype of the land is Urza's. So that's real. Taps for colorless and then Metalcraft. Tap to add colorless for each Urza's land you control. Activate only if you control three or more artifacts. So this is one for the commander players, I guess. I mean, it's really good. <laughs> okay, there's an Ashnod's altar in here. It's, it's kind of cool. Yeah, schematic. What I mean, that's that's nice. That's a nice pickup. That'll go in one of our commander decks, I'm sure. Uh, and then there's a Liberator Urza's Battlethopter hiding the back. So I guess you could flash in your Ashnod's altar. This is this is something I actually like this card in, in draft. Um, I mean, just a th this usually plays out like a three mana two three flying flash. Not in that you get to eat something, but it usually attacks as a 2-3 next turn, because pretty much anything you cast is going to put a counter on it, and then most stuff you cast then is going to put more counters on it. I think I think my car just got hit cart. by a shopping cart. It, <laughs> it just got blown into my car. Yep. Okay. Guess we'll continue with the show then, because there's more. There's a Queen Kayla Bin Krug in the pack. <laughs> it's our last card. It's a foil. Uh... I mean, yeah, this one's fun. Uh, I've seen people go off with this. I, I think I've seen, at most, people get back two cards with it. Um, this is one that you pay for, discard your whole hand. Uh, and then if something was a one or two or three drop creature or artifact, you get to return to the battlefield. And then you draw as many cards as you discarded. So can be good. I mean, again, this is a good draw engine. And we actually got one of these also in foil already from the, uh, the bundle we opened in the store today. So you can have this one. I don't want this. Sure. All right. So on to our Teferi table. This is our Roses and Thorns style segment where Ben and I share a high and a low for the past week. So Ben, Teferi table. What's up? Well, one Teferi is we get to hang out. Yeah. <laughs> this is a, it's, it's been a while, but honestly, the entire podcast kind of started from us just wanting to hang out and talk about magic, which we'd primarily always done while driving. So this is kind of a throwback to where it all began. Yeah, which is pretty sweet. We also just had Thanksgiving. I'm going to like throw my uh, Teferi in here. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, we just had Thanksgiving here in the U.S., so, you know, lots of amazing food. I'm still kind of full from last <laughs> night. Uh, yeah, same. And have another Thanksgiving feast to eat tonight. So <laughs> Nice, nice. Uh, pretty excited for that. Um, 
did a ton of traveling though. I think that's kind of my tibble is that I did a ton of traveling this week and I'm exhausted. <laughs> Am I just not doing my deferring tibble? No, you can you can jump back. We just did a sandwich mine in the middle of yours. Yeah. Okay. Um, honestly, yeah, same with uh, Thanksgiving. Got to see all my family yesterday. That was cool. Got to just honestly I have a few days off of school. I'm off right now, which is nice. Um, kind of needed this break. I was <laughs> I'm actually a little late to pick Zach up because uh, I, I was grading papers and ended up taking. I thought it was like 15 minutes worth of paper grading. It was like 45 minutes worth of paper grading. So anyway, we're, we're, we're heading out right now to get some hot Black Friday deals. So we're, we're heading to our local game store, which is a great place. Um, and hopefully they got some good stuff. So honestly, I'd count that as a deferry. I, I love going to Nirvana. Man, what is this guy doing? You see that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm going to make – there's going to be slight comments about the, uh, the drivers around here <laughs> throughout the episode. All right. So – we're going to skip the listener question this week. Definitely check the Discord out to uh, drop questions in the listener channel, uh, listener question channel, so so we can uh, answer any of the questions you've got about bro or really anything at all. <laughs> yeah, just life. We're just, we're just people. We'll answer those questions. All right, so this is our first impressions show. Last week we did our live draft, which was the fir- very first draft either of us did of the format, which was really fun. Um, this is our first impressions show, so we're just going to kind of have a conversation here about the things that we're thinking about this format and see where it goes. We don't have any show notes because we're in the car, so <laughs> we'll see how this goes. All right. Uh, yeah. First thing I wanted to say, I have not gotten a grip on this format yet. Me neither. Yeah, really? Me neither. You're still posting trophy after trophy, though. In the okay, trophy okay. To be fair, far fewer trophies than my average set. So, like, that... I, I can usually feel when it clicks. I post about this in Discord. Like, there's a, there's a, a click that I experience where I jump up to like a sixty plus percent win rate, and I'm still at like fifty, like three or fifty four, fifty five, somewhere around that in this set. And I can feel it too. Like, I, I can feel when I have more like two threes and three threes than when I'm used to going like seven twos and that kind of thing. I, I can tell I haven't quite figured out the thing to do in this set, and I, I think it's not. <laughs> Not to scapegoat it too much here. I don't think it's entirely my fault because I've been seeing a lot of people saying this. I I think this set has a unique texture, and it's one that I don't particularly like. (laughs) Okay, so I think I'm in the same boat. And now, I'll I'll admit up front, I've only done three or four drafts at this point, so I haven't Uh gotten to play a ton of the format. Um, I, I think, personally, I think it's the schematic cards that are doing this because... I've noticed, at least for myself, when I'm drafting, I'm thinking about going into a potential archetype or potential vector direction, and a, a cool schematic pops up. They're all colorless, so they feel like they go in every deck, but yeah. they really don't. And I'll, I'll want to try to make that work, and then suddenly I have no idea what colors I'm actually drafting. We should probably talk about this now. I wanted to address like the, the, the these like rare schematic cards. I think it's... The format is at odds with itself. It's trying to be this cool, like go over the top, look at these cool old 7-mana, 6-mana, 5-mana artifacts that do cool stuff. Keening Stone, right? Like, big mill win condition. There's, like, a bunch of mill stuff. Mill, uh, there's Mesmeric Orb, there's Millstone itself. This stuff's cool, objectively, and people like to play it, but they are absolutely not what you should be doing with the format. It is so much faster than that. If you don't play a 2-drop, in some games, if your opponent leads on the little 1-mana Goblin, it feels like if you don't have a 1-drop, you're dead. And, like, if, if my opponent taps out for a Keening Stone, I basically know that I've won the game. Because that means they're, they just spent like five mana do nothing, or like six mana do nothing. Next turn they might tap it to mill me for like four cards, and then they're doing nothing with that whole turn. 
uh, a bunch of the like perilous vault effects. Um, those don't really have any effect on the game. Like e even Mind's Eye, which is an awesome card and can do work in the slower matchups. It's just like not the best. Thing. Like you should just take a good black removal spell or like a good red aggressive creature over it. Yeah, you'd almost uh, almost prefer like an overwhelming remorse. Yeah. To something like that. I will say that I've noticed Pristine Talisman to be pretty solid. The extra little life gain that gives seems to be pretty useful. Life gain is good in this format because aggro is good in this format. Right. So I was looking at some of the top commons uh, on 17 lands. I think the only green one that's even in the top like 10 or 15 is the Boulder Branch Golem. Uh, right. And that's the one that gains like 3 to 6 life. Yeah. So I, I think like because life gain... I, I, it makes sense that life gain is good because like the heavy aggro stuff is good. Also, black red has just been popping off. I, I like the Mardu colors particularly. Um, Kind of sad for green, but uh, there, you can go big, but there's a lot of tools in this format to win, and un to, to win when you're like beating down and have your opponent at a low life total. Unlike some formats, though, I don't like the tools. You know, like okay. I, I just I just don't enjoy playing them. It's it's kind of hard to describe. Like destroy evil, love the card in Dominaria United. Like just such a fun card to play with. It was great. Here, you don't really have that. You have, like, there's sack stuff, which is fun, but the everything feels, like, cobbled together. Yeah, there's that, what's the the two-mana rare soul something? It oh, yeah, a creature yeah, And then they yeah. can just recast it so it's, just like, it's, just like, it's just weird, like, it almost feels like an old set, like one from 20 years ago, where a lot of the stuff just doesn't really do anything, and you have to piece together wins from it. And there's a challenge inherent to that, but... It's just not really one that I'm... Not a fun one? <laughs> yeah, it's just not a very fun challenge. Like, the cards like the, uh... The, I guess there's kind of like the red and green ones. Mishra's work, um... Table, whatever it is. Uh, Mishra's Workbench, whatever it is. And, uh, the green one, the, the mask. Uh, the Jade Crafter's mask or something. Um, I just don't enjoy that play style. Where you have an artifact and you tap it to do something. And you're still trying to play aggro and somehow it ends up working. I just, I don't really enjoy that. I think the most fun I've had so far in the format was when I had a good blue-white soldiers deck. I did trophy with it, uh, but that was the only deck that I've played, maybe besides some of the red-green ones on day like one, but that was one of the few like really solid vectors that I felt like would be competitive in a different draft format, like like an actual deck. But okay. some of these decks, they just don't really... That, it, just, it just feels like you're, you're playing with a bunch of junk. <laughs> yeah, I think I agree with you. That's been my experience too. Even in just the few drafts I've done, I've noticed... I've noticed that the tables have kind of pushed me toward playing some variation of black-white. Yeah. Which I haven't felt happy to do. And yeah, yeah. I will say I, I played against... Today, I'm, right now, I'm playing a almost mono-brown deck nice. um, that I didn't think was very good. It's, it's really a green-white deck, but it, it plays almost entirely artifacts. There are a few uh, green and white cards that I'm using, Yoshin Dissident being one of the kind of key components to the deck. Mm. And then the top end is the uh, one white white or six mana rare oh, with flying. Yeah, that yeah. Gives, yeah, that closes games out really easily. Um, and then a bunch of the like stone uh, retrieval units that ETB to make two artifacts basically for oh, the ocean yeah. dissident, putting yeah. triggers on my flyers, or putting counters on my flyers. It, That's pretty good. Flyers are very very good in this format. I noticed. But anyway, I was playing re earlier this morning. I was playing that deck, and I lost to a blue red deck that went. Turn to third path, uh, whatever the the signpost oh, yeah, uncommon. Class, yeah, yeah, kind of class, and then a uh, turn three, uh, swift spear, and then they just 
played the the levitating statue, oh. and then a bunch of non-creature spells, and they just wrecked huh. me. Like super aggro, just made a bunch of one ones. Went wide and over went the top. Went wide yeah. and over the top. Both yeah, both directions, and I just couldn't really do anything about it. Yeah. So I think there's definitely a, a solid aggro blue red deck as well, but everything else, it just feels yeah weird. I I don't know. We did see one like really good black green deck. Uh, black green is solid. Draft. Yeah, black green can be solid, and I think the spider is worth splashing for. If you're, if you're even touching black or green, I think you probably are supposed to play the spider. The spider's just been awesome. The skyfisher. So uh, is the other one, the the two three with reach death touch. That oh yeah, gets yeah. You back that's a card from the graveyard. That seems that is. I've seen that do quite a bit of work. Incidental graveyard hate is definitely solid in this format. <laughs> even the uh, the blue two five, the uh, the cadence keeper or keeper of the cadence. A few times I, I've been playing like a bigger blue green deck, which I don't really think is what you're supposed to do, but. Look, I had to try out, like, become one with the multiverse, that, that <laughs> nonsense. I just keep opening Temporal Anchor. I think, like, four or five drafts, it's been my pack one, pick one. And, yeah, it's an awesome card. Like, it's fun to play with. Sometimes I've found that just raw card advantage like that isn't actually enough. And, it's, like, it's not in this if format. you just, yeah, if you just, like, turn your deck over, some of the decks that manage to scrap together more, like, on vector synergy will just win but it, it, the vectors are so like I don't want to say uninteresting but they're so thin and uh, it, it feels like you're, you're you're like scraping to get your next piece of like onboard vector synergy I've noticed that like the cards that have been overperforming the most for me have been doing a million things like yeah. ones that help fuel maybe multiple vectors so that your deck while it might be loose uh, it kind of it kind of glues it together. It like glues you to your next turn's play almost. So um, I think we should talk about Scrapwork Mutt. This card is really overperformed. I've been playing them outside of red decks. Yep. Like, or sometimes like maybe if I have an E-Wilds, I'll put like a mountain in the deck if I have two of them so I'm able to flash them back. But uh, overall, just like a good solid two drop that helps you churn into what you need next. It triggers all your draw two stuff. It's an artifact that ETBs. Uh, it, it can put stuff into the graveyard for unearth. Th that's like everything you want to be doing in this format, no matter what your deck you're in. Right. And I, I think you mentioned something there that I want to come back to with the draw twos, but it seems like a lot of these like quote unquote scrap work cards have been a bit better than I first anticipated. Scrap work, scrap work, mutt being one of them, but also the cohort. The cohort. Oh, really scrap work cohort. We, we did call this. Yes, we, we <laughs> mentioned the cohort. We call it. Uh, yeah, this card's been great too. Um, again, it, it triggers multiple artifact ETBs. Um, th that and the mutt, if you can mill them or get them in your graveyard somehow else, like either by discarding them or self milling. Um, and honestly, just going wide, it makes two soldiers. Uh, I guess like th three and a half soldiers <laughs> by the right, time yeah. you've used uh, both the, the front half and the graveyard half of it. And, and that can be relevant too. Uh, also, the fact that it is three power. I found three power is really a good place to be in this format. There's a lot of like two threes, three threes. And a lot uh, of X1s. And a lot of X1s, yeah. Yeah, so the ability to attack in and... That one doesn't necessarily get fully blanked by like a, by like a one two or something because you can flash it back and you already got some of the value from the tokens that it makes. But I, I mean, I, a few times I've gotten wrecked by using a combat trick that I should have saved in order to punch through like a larger blocker. So I feel like three toughness, uh, four toughness is what you want in order to like stabilize on the ground. Three power is what you really want in order to be able to push through most things. Yeah, the Yoshin Medic, I think it is, the 1-4 with lifelink yeah, for 2 yeah. or 3 or whatever it is. That that card's been very good in 
stemming some of those aggro decks because like you said four, four toughness is really where you want to be to be able to stabilize yeah now that one I actually found to be a bit of a trap within the soldier deck I, yes. I don't think it's very good if you're trying to be aggressive with the soldiers which is what I think the vector wants to do I think that one if you're trying to play like a slower deck maybe if you have a lot of ways to play, place counters like uh, with, with the the dissident the ocean dissident or something like that you can right. like suit it up um yeah, I will say the green, really. the green white deck that I'm playing now, which, like I said, is actually closer to being mono brown, but mm -hmm. plays a, a bunch of, you know, like a handful of green white cards, uh, does play one copy of the, the one form. Yeah, yeah. And that's a deck that actually wants to be. Um, I, th I think that is a potential green white vector, even though it, it really does seem to want to do the soldiers thing. I think there is a green white deck that doesn't actually care and really just wants to get out as many power stunts as possible and play a bunch of big stuff in the late game. And yeah, the 1-4 yeah. really helps get you, th get you there. <laughs> so one card I want to talk about is Airship Chaplain. This is another one, along with the Scrapworks, that really just glues decks together. At its base, I mean, it's two and a white 1-1 one, one flyer, um, and it mills three, and you can put either a creature with mana value three or less, or a planes into your hand. So... I mean, if you have, like, three of these, you can just chain them, which is something I didn't yeah. really think about. Uh, that's strong, obviously. You always have the option. I mean, if you, if you like, decline to take one of those or if you miss, uh, you just put a counter on it. So at the very base, it's a 3-mana 2-2 two, two flyer, which, you know, it's not a soldier, but it really wishes it was. Like, it wishes yeah. it had the soldier synergy, uh, and I wish it had the soldier synergy. It's still just solid, um, just as a 2-2 two, two flyer. But... Starting to fill up your graveyard can help you mill over the other scrapwork stuff, or mill over something like a, I don't, I don't know, like a like a Mishra's Juggernaut or something bigger like that to close up the game. So, I, I've been pretty impressed with this guy. I think it also like glues the turn together. There've been a lot of like kind of risky hands, like like two landers, but I have one of those, and I'm like, okay, well, if I hit my third land, I'm gonna hit my fourth land. So I, I found that one really, it, it, like I said in the pre-show, kind of nailed this one too. It um. It serves a lot like a, like a Farfinder type effect, where you just yeah. know you're going to be able to get a land off of your 3-drop no matter what. Now, uh, I agree with you conceptually. I, I, I'm on the same page. I have never really hit with the airship, Chaplin. <laughs> uh, I, I have actually hit with it, technically, but not in a way that it was ever meaningful for the game. It feels small. Like, it, right. it feels like a small effect, because other people are playing like... They, on, on your turn 3, you play that. They untap, they play a 3-2 haste. Right. Yeah, and then you're just like, oh, uh, what did putting that card in my hand actually do for me? Yeah. Um, so I wanted to circle back to the, the draw two stuff. Yeah, yeah. We sort of touched on this last week, but how are you feeling about the draw two? Because to me, it's starting to feel less like an actual vector and more like incidental value on cards that don't belong in a draw two deck. Yeah, I agree. I think like in a, in a blue-black deck, you can have the draw two stuff. Uh, the 4-5 that gains lifelink and death touch is actually scarily good. Again, being able to gain like a huge chunk of life in an aggressive format is really strong. And that thing can do it like pretty well on attacks because it'll gain death touch. And then, you know, they, they really have to put two things in front of it. And at the very least, it's going to trade with something, either a trick or they're probably their biggest creature. So one thing that I noticed is kind of annoying. Uh, sometimes the aggro decks don't really have the... The, the strength to punch through or punch around. I mean, there's not really there's not really as strong a go-wide vector in this set as there was in Dominaria United. I mean, you can make a lot of tokens in Dominaria United, but, I mean, we, we saw this in the pre-show, too. Like, 
six mana gets you four tokens, where his last set, four mana got you three. Right. Uh, so not, not as great a rate. Uh, so it clearly was more about the artifactness of those tokens than the fact you were going wide. So I, I found in playing against the blue-black deck that there, there's a bunch of the cards in that vector, particularly the uncommons, the Gurgling Anointer and the uh, the Thopter mechanic, like the ones that when you draw a second card each turn, you put a counter on it. Yeah. Sometimes those things can just grow way out of control. Even the, right. even the common one, it tends to be a little slower, that common, but a lot of them, they can just get too big. And then sometimes you look back and you're like, oh, well, I have like three disfigures in my deck and like one hard removal spell. I just can never really attack through this. Yeah, that's a fair point. I, I'll also add that any of those cards that are non-artifacts that are like that, like the Gurgling Anointer, are really typically quite hard to deal with. Most yeah. of the removal in this format that's good is like stuff like Disenchant. Yeah. And then you just can't deal with some of those non-artifact creatures. I've had a few times where I've had like a disenchant stuck in my hand and my opponent has only non-artifact creatures. I've also had the case where uh, I, I have a, uh, a go for the throat in my hand and they have like two rust behemoths out yeah. of Rust Alliance. And I'm like, all right, well, this is a really fun place. <laughs> I'm really, really enjoying this. I don't know. This um, this format is definitely brutal. Like, I, I think it, it, they, if they're trying to capture what it feels like to, to be in the Brothers War, it, sometimes you just get killed out of nowhere. Like your opponent untaps, they play a massive haster, or they use the uh, uh, the, the reunion to, to give their whole team haste that you didn't see coming, or yeah. they give the black red vector uncommon the um, whatever that thing's called. <laughs> oh, the genius. Yeah, the genius. Um, that is a scary card. It really I, is. That has killed me out of nowhere before. I, and it turns out giving your whole team menace in one zero is just really strong. And black red, I think, is right now probably the strongest deck even though i haven't been having a lot of success with it myself just from the data it's starting to look like it's going to come out on top but i, I don't know I, I i i want to keep diving into this format but at the same time i'm not having nearly as much fun as i did in, in dominaria united yeah for me it's like one of those things where i'm trying to figure out do i dislike it enough that i want to stop playing it and i'm not there yet because like i said i've only done a handful of drafts but yeah i can see the writing on the wall it will be around like probably 10 drafts or so i'm gonna be like do i want to keep drafting this format to try to figure out how to do it (laughs) yeah or is it just not fun enough and i just want to stop i don't think i'm gonna figure out the format before i decide to stop (laughs) one of my problems with this format is that some of the fun like stuff look back to the uh uh, the schematic stuff some of the, the the really interesting stuff that you want to do in this format is bad yeah, I had a a deck with Sundering Titan, and like it was basically mono brown. A bunch of the uh, the Urza uh, like triad of, of like commons that the ones that when you get all three of them out, it's actually yeah. pretty good. And yeah. it turns out it's not impossible. Yeah, you actually can get all those assembly workers out, and when you do, they pop off. Yeah. But uh, I had a deck with like Sundering Titan and Ur. Uh, Liberator, the Battle Thopter, and I was like, oh yeah, I'm gonna flash in a Sundering Titan. This is gonna be awesome. And I had a bunch of like the the Rust Goliaths and like just big mono brown stuff and, and a bunch of like smaller ones like the the tower worker that taps for mana. And I was like, this is gonna be sweet. Like it's a colorless ramp deck with like a huge top end. And I just got demolished yep. by by like the Mardu colors. Yeah, so one thing I've noticed with those cards in particular, especially the um not the tower worker, the mine worker, is it taps to gain you one life, but it's a two one. So it's yeah. like, I'm never leaving this back because it can't block, but I also don't want to tap it to attack because I kind of want to gain the life. 
it also just gets blanked so easily. And it gets blanked by everything. It, it's an X one. <laughs> like, yeah, it's 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 so low impact in this format, except for the life game, which can be relevant, but it's just. But until you get the other two workers out, it's gain one a turn, and that's good. It helps, but it's not impactful. Yeah, not not really enough to justify its inclusion. So, um, I found that if you have two of each at that point, you're you're, you're kind of doing it. Uh, just about those like assembly workers. If you have two of each and maybe some recursion, um, you, you can you can get there. Well, we're just pulling up to our local game store here, so we're gonna go probably maybe o- crack open some pre-release kits because we never got to do that. Yeah, and we'll catch back in with you uh, on the ride home. Yeah, we're gonna talk about how uh, how I just demolished Zach in our own little pre-release here. <laughs> yeah, probably will. <laughs> All right, we're back from the local game store. We tried our hardest to get a pre-release kit. They didn't have any. Then we tried our hardest to get draft boosters. They also didn't have any of those. Um, So we had to buy a set booster bundle and then a few extra set boosters. And then we did our own build your own pre-release kit, basically, with set boosters. Yeah. We've done stuff like this before. Yeah. It it always works out. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's still fun. Uh, Ben wrecked me. A lot. I did open a Gix, though, so... You got the money value. We opened a lot of Transformers. Um, also that. Which were just, just kind of bad. They were all bad. Like, just as magic cards, they didn't feel very good. Yeah, very good. I, cool for those that like Transformers, but... Uh, oh, and... It, well, one of the most expensive cards we opened was the Transformers token. Oh, yeah. Which is apparently, like, an $8 card for no reason. I don't, it, it's, like, a 2-2 Menace or something. I don't know. Yeah, but I, I guess it's just rare. Menace, yeah. Yeah. Um, in any case... Uh, I don't think anything exceptionally interesting happened in the games in particular. Ben did get oh, to hell oh, the host of Lauren. Oh, what are you talking about? After I, I had prison a, sentenced it. Yeah, so, so Zach prison sentenced Lauren. I, I untap play Helm of the Host. Next turn, I equip it. And then I just, well, I blew up an artifact that he had on field. And then the next turn, I was going to get to blow up the prison sentence and then start swinging with like two, then three, then four Laurens. And you bet I was going to activate to draw every single one of them every single turn. But someone decided to go to game two before we could really pop off. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm a control player at heart. And the best way that I have to control the game at that point is to stop them <laughs> from doing anything. End the game. Um... Yeah, Gix didn't get the power up pop off because I did math wrong, and um, that was that was pretty much the extent of it. Those those set boosters are weird to build with because they're all seated, so you end up with like cards that should work together but don't always necessarily work together. And we also ended up with like not enough. Like I had to scrape for playables in any colors because yeah. there aren't enough <laughs> cards in the packs because you only end up with 12 cards per pack instead of 13 so well here's hoping we open better seal pools 15, uh, tomorrow during the open by this point you've already heard about how our opens went but uh, hopefully we were happy about them I don't know I mean given how the draft has been for both of us uh, I don't know I, I don't think our problems are within the, the draft itself though maybe our card evaluation is off of the set because it's just weird and artifacty but i don't know we're, we're both like long time sealed veterans hopefully it was at least like a decent run for both of us so any cards in particular you wanted to shout out here that we should talk about more in depth i think one is the mutt we did talk about the mutt a little bit already but yeah. probably top common certainly in the top three um yeah. Yeah. Just a super solid card does everything you want it to do in good pretty boy. much every vector. Yeah, <laughs> great boy. Um, Terrifying. One eye, kind of, and like yeah. made of metal, but you know, good boy nonetheless. Yeah, uh, really been liking that card. I guess we should talk about Mishra's 
like research desk. Yeah. Um, because it's it's. I don't like that it's good. <laughs> I, I don't like that cards like that are good, but I see why it's good. So that's the uh, the generic, and um, you, you can uh, pay one, uh, tap, sack it, and exile the top two cards of your library. You choose one of them, and um, uh, you may play it until the end of your next turn. This is all from memory, so I hope this is right. And then it has unearth for one or red, and then you can do the same thing. So this is a cool design space, this one and the, uh, the mask. Uh, because you get to unearth an artifact, use it in instant speed, and then it dies. And usually unearth is on creatures, so it's cool. I just don't like it <laughs> very much. But um, I, I get why it's good, because it, it helps smooth out your early draws. It triggers prowess. Uh, it's a non-creature spell for the stuff that cares about that. It's an artifact that can send itself to the graveyard, and it sacks itself. And it even has unearth, so if you mill it, it's good. So this is good for all the same reasons that Mutt is good. Yeah. Um, in fact, it's just like, well, it's not raw card advantage, it just cycles really, but I guess once you flash it back then it's raw card advantage. So it's, it's kind of like a really slow divination, but actually now that I think of it, I guess it's more like a dig through time, <laughs> because you get, to, you get to see like four cards. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to say that. That seems a stretch. Yeah, but it's, it's better than I gave it credit for. I just... Look, man, I just don't like artifacts that much. <laughs> I think this set kind of reminded me of that. It's cool. Like, I, I, every once in a while, I get to play like a like a shops kind of deck with like smokestack and, and vintage cube, and I'm like, yeah, artifacts. And then that's <laughs> that's that's about all I can take of it. Yeah, I. I think I like artifact decks. I like the dirtily like kind of stuff where it doesn't seem like you're doing anything where you're actually getting a lot of value. Uh, I just haven't been able to figure this format out yet. Yeah, it, so. it's like, it's assertive in a way that I don't like. Like, I really enjoy the type of, like, just beat-down aggro decks that have been pretty solid and limited recently. Just look at Red-White from Dominary United, right? Like, that's... I love that deck. I probably drafted more of that deck than most decks I've... Most vectors in any format. But... I don't know, just like this type of beat down assertive vector in in Brothers War just isn't really my favorite iteration of it, and that's fine. Like I'm still gonna play it and have fun doing it, but it's just not my not necessarily my favorite thing in the world. Um, that being said, if you're having fun out there with this set, you know, keep having fun because th there's a lot of cool stuff. I just wish that the cool stuff was a little more evenly distributed. It's mostly like big top end artifact nonsense. Like for example, in a uh, in our little thing right now, I opened Mind's Eye, which is a really solid card. Five mana. Uh, whenever your opponent draws a card, you can pay one. If uh, if you do, you draw a card. Really strong card, obviously, but really strong in a slower format. Again, in this format, that could just be five mana. You do nothing, and your opponent like pumps their fist because now they get to hate like play it. 5-4 haste or something and like just kill you on the spot yeah those are the kinds of effects that you know and, and I think it's interesting because those are put in as schematics in this format like they yeah. weren't technically part of the set even yeah. though they are um, and so that's a little interesting and that's what I was talking about earlier I think the schematics are what's throwing the wrench in the set for me in terms of figuring out what what to do with it yeah because you do you open stuff like that and then you're like wait i guess that technically goes in my set my in my deck but mm -hmm. i think that's where trying to approach this from a vector perspective instead of the typical sort of archetype 
look kind of helps because a given card might work in might look like it works in a in a in an archetype but when you really look at every card you have and the way that they come together yeah you might see oh wait this actually doesn't fit the rest of what my deck is trying to do but that, that that's painful it is you know it, it sucks when you have to pass like a, a cool schematic or something I mean some of them like worm coil engine obviously like that just goes in every deck but yeah um, I don't know like it, it, it hurts to pass some of these uh, <laughs> but um, I, I think actually maybe one of the reasons why black red and some of the, the red like sack based stuff has been overperforming is because of the schematic stuff where uh so many of them, like Chromatic Star and uh, all those little like one or two mana dirtily, like uh, Icor Wellspring, that kind of thing, uh, like ETB or Sack to draw a card or when it leaves the battlefield, draw a card. Um, those play really well with the Black Red Artifact Sack deck. Yeah. So I think that deck, it almost feels like the schematics were just, it feels like the, the set was designed without the schematics in mind. And it just so happens that the Black Red and particularly Red assertive vectors that have to do with sacking stuff like um, the Penrigan Strong Bowl and that kind of thing. Like, that card's been awesome. Um, those types of things really benefit from those little dirtily artifacts that sack themselves and that kind of thing. Uh, they proc all the sack triggers. They're extra things. Sometimes when they leave the battlefield, they draw a card. Blue-green can't, like, get the sack half of Icor Wellspring, but Black-Red can. So, like, just based on the cards available and the colors. So, I... I feel like that may be why this set ended up a little more assertively slanted. I'm having this realization now, like, as we're driving back from having played this. <laughs> like, I think maybe they were designed independently, like you said, and they got smushed together, and it just so happens that black-red and the red assertive stuff can use it better. Yeah, you mentioned, like, the the, the sack half. Black-red also has most of the graveyard recursion stuff. Yeah. So not only can it get the sack half because it has the cards that do the sacrificing in red, but it has all the cards in black that get stuff back from the graveyard yeah, to, yeah. to loop it and keep doing that over and over again. So yeah, I agree. I think they do feel pretty... Unfortunately, not every vector in the format can take advantage of all of these cards the same. Um, which does kind of make them almost weird, like tertiary signpost cards yeah, yeah. In, in weird ways not that you would necessarily see like an Icor Wellspring and be like well I guess I have to play black red now but but it is a black red but card but it is a black red it, card really so. in the format so that is a little bit weird I'm looking forward to trying to see if I can find uh, like a blue green deck that's actually going to work and, and yeah. compete well with those other black red decks that you're talking about yeah um, there's a few specific cards that I thought we should talk about one is the rager uh, and we just got done with Phyrexian Rager last set, so when we saw a similar one this set, we were like, oh boy, this one even has Unearth. Um, it's worse, though. Isn't it? <laughs> it's way, yeah. way, way worse. Um, turns out, 4-mana 2-2, two, two, no matter, you know, like, it, no matter what it's going to say on it, it's it's just, not, even draw a card, lose a life, which is usually fantastic, and I think if this card were in uh, DMU, it would have been almost as fantastic as Rager. It's just not really as fast as you want it. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think it's a little bit uh, of an awkward spot for a card like that. Yeah. Um, and, 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 like, it turns out, like, the, the second half of it, you just don't have time to, like, pay for mana, make a 2-2, and try to draw a card. It, it, like, there's some sets where this would be great, and, like, you get the body, but it turns out it's just too slow. And 
that's unfortunate because it looks like a really good card. So I think I had to reprogram my brain a little bit on that one to like stop auto picking the card that says Rager in its name. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. used to a good Rager, but um, that one's definitely underperformed. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I, I've had a similar experience with it. I was trying to think uh, if there were any other cards in the set that that gave that initial first impression of like, oh, I remember a version of this being really good. Mm-hmm. Hoping it's going to be as well in this. Uh, Rage is the the one that comes to mind for the most part. Yeah. But uh, another card I wanted to mention was Precursor Golem. That's one of the schematics, but it's at rare, so it shows up a little more than you'd think. And people don't tend to pass it, but I've gotten a few of them passed because sometimes people will take like a good on-color card or a good removal spell over it. But that's five mana, uh, and it makes uh, it's a three-three golem, and it makes two more three-three uh, golem tokens. But the catch is, uh, whenever an instant or sorcery would target one of the golems, it targets all of them. So sometimes this is awesome against like a deck with very little instants and sorcery removal spell, like. Uh, I don't know, maybe like blue-green or sometimes like st- stuff that doesn't have a lot of the black kill spells and red kill spells. Like blue-green and white, really, this card shines against because those are like the creaturey decks. But with this card, um, if they target one of them, uh, it kills all of them. And it also targets all the other golems on the field. The way the card is worded is it says like if it would target one golem, it targets every golem available. So I had a really funny uh, instance play out where I had a... Um, I had the precursor golem out. My opponent had played the uh, the border branch golem or whatever that thing is, yeah. and it even has golem in the name. So I probably should have seen this one coming. But I targeted it with a disenchant, and uh, kind of kind of blew your whole board. Kind of blew up my whole board. Yeah, it was a little embarrassing. But uh, I was pretty tired when I was playing that match out. Uh, it did actually kill their. I think it was like their. Their, their clear cutter or whatever. They had like another random golem on the field, but then they, uh, I was like, okay, so it was like a, not a great exchange for me. Technically a two for two, but just that one that feels really bad. Um, and then the next time they untapped and they played another one of the, like the six, five, like gain older, six, yeah, yeah, gain six golems. And I was like, all right, I should have waited the turn. But anyway, uh, this card, there's some ways you can use it better. Uh, it's only, it's only the first like main creature golem card that has that annoying text on it that's like copy the spell. So if you can trade that one off, or I've even used I've sacked it to a power stone explosion or like power stone uh, fracture. So is it only spells that target that do the thing? Yeah, yeah. So power stone fracture. It's like an ability. Oh right. It's yeah. like an additional cost of the of the card. Yeah. Like you sack a creature. So it might seem like bad value, but. I mean, it's better than having them top deck a kill spell and wipe your, your whole team. That way you really wind up with, like, you, you get, like, the extra bo- two bodies, the extra two three threes. Uh, you were already so far ahead on, on like, on-board presence just from having played three three threes for five mana. So then if you sack one of them, it guarantees that the other two are going to stick around. They can no longer do the uh, one kill spell for all three trick. Yeah. So th- that's a little fun trick. Either try to, like, trade off the first one or, like, sack it to something. Um to make sure you don't get blown out like I sometimes did. <laughs> One more card I wanted to mention, I think it's like Urza enters the infinite, or Ur- Urza goes infinite, we'll call it. It's like the uh, the eight mana enchantment, uh, and it's it lets you play cards off the top of your library, and then once, uh, once per turn, you can play something for free, either off the top of your library or from your hand. I have landed this a few times. It's insane. It, it, is, it is so sick. And this is the kind of deck where, like, it's not an artifact, so you can't use power stones to ramp into it. You have to ramp into it the old-fashioned way. So that can be difficult because you can get used to ramping into like the 
Rust Goliath, the 10-10. And by the way, uh, those two pair very well together. I free cast a bunch of Rust Goliaths with that thing. So, so good. But then you're also just drawing cards by casting stuff off the top of your library. I mean, if you get the eight mana, you're going to be able to cast most stuff off the top of your library. You're probably able to untap and like play a few things. Also, the turn you play it, you can free cast something. So it doesn't actually put you that far behind uh, to tap out for it, unlike some of these other big payoffs that we were talking about, like uh, Mind's Eye, which takes a while. Uh, it's like a functional do-nothing. This one, it pays you back the mana basically instantly if you have something to play. So uh, that one actually is worth building to. That one really only goes in blue-green ramp, or maybe, I don't even know, maybe you're splashing it somehow, or doing some kind of elsewhere flask nonsense. I don't know, but uh, I, 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 uh, I think that one is solid. Yeah, it sounds like my kind of card. I think I need to draft that at least once this <laughs> Oh, round. oh, you're going to love it. It's so much fun. And uh, one one more last thing. Monocolor decks. Yeah. Uh, they do exist. I actually played in draft. Uh, no big deal, but I did go 3-0. Uh, you can see the list in Discord. It was a really sick Mardu like, aggro deck. Um, mana was a little sketch, but it ended up playing out pretty well. Uh, and the scrapwork mutts, they really just helped you filter and, and hit the lands that you needed to at the right times. But anyway, I played against an opponent. They were playing mono red. Uh, remember that that Minotaur that I laughed about? In the, yeah, it's in the actually cruise? good. <laughs> well, it turns out in mono red, um, if you have three or four of them, <laughs> it's actually really good. I had a, a game where my opponent played one on turn two. They played one on turn three. Then they played one on turn four, followed up by a pump spell. Yep. Believe it or not, I did actually it. win that game. <laughs> but wow. uh, it, it was thanks... I went down to one life and I stabilized thanks to the, uh, what is it, the, the big Hellkite Dragon, the ETB deal four, and then it was a four four. I actually, it traded for two of them because it ETB'd to kill one and then I blocked it the next turn. Nice. But that was a, a really close game. But uh, in the end, uh, turns out big bomb dragons can still get there in the end. Uh, but yeah, no, those things, um, I mean, I was a, I was a little, little freaked out by how good they were, especially after... Uh, how little I thought of them in the in the uh, pre-show. Yeah, uh, I think the, the monocolor deck was something that I, I noticed people talking about before I noticed they were actually a thing. Yeah. Uh, in, in games. Like, I hadn't experienced them when I, I started seeing everybody saying, like, oh, monocolor decks are a thing in this format. Mm -hmm. um, I guess with the exception of mono brown. But I, I think when we did the format breakdown, neither of us really saw... We didn't give mono a lot of color as no. as a thing that would happen in this format, and but it's just easier to be functionally monocolor because sometimes you're playing like maybe you're, you're like mono white, but you're playing like the scrapwork mutts in like two mountains or something. I yeah. think it's pretty common to have like a ten six or a ten five, uh, like ten five one and an e wilds or something like a breakdown like that in this format. Yeah, I've seen some pretty like pretty close to mono white soldier decks. I had a. a one that was pretty close to mono white. I think it had like three or four blue cards, two of which were the lords, uh, the soldier lord. Yeah. That card, uh, that deck was awesome. Um, so mono white and mono red, they're both real. Uh, I haven't seen mono blue yet. I don't feel like that'd be that strong. Mono black, I feel like a lot of the black cards pair really well with red and white anyway. So I don't really, I don't know if it'd be necessary to go into mono black when you might just have stuff that draws in the other colors. And uh, I, I don't know about mono green. That. I think green is probably, unfortunately, the worst color in the set. So I, I don't know. I don't know if you want to stick to just mono that.
Well, that about does it for us this week. Thank you so much for listening. Really hope that you enjoyed this little uh, live in-person kind of chat. I know sometimes the audio can be a little bit messy with all the, the car sounds and the background hum and everything. Try to do my best in terms of editing to make it a pleasurable listening experience for you, but hopefully you appreciated the little more candid, chaffy approach to this week's episode. Again, thanks so much for listening. Check out the Discord if you're not already in there. Again, the link to that is in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page. And if you'd like to support the show directly, of course, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. Thanks, folks, and we'll catch you next week. So um, here here in, uh, in America, we celebrate Thanksgiving. Just, uh, it's, it's a holiday, you know. It's got some pretty messed up history, but we celebrate it. It's a holiday. And at this point, it's morphed more into about a just eating good food and, and watching television. Really just a true American holiday. Founded on the just founded on genocide and is now morphed into excess consumerism. But anyway, uh, one of the big aspects of it is is the food. So something we should probably address here. What's the Thanksgiving food tier list look like for you? Ah, tier list. So yeah, what, what's up, let what's me up, break right? out my soapbox here. <laughs> I think turkey is the worst protein Thank God, you can have because, at yeah. Thanksgiving. Here's the thing. I was going to agree. I was going to agree. Here's yeah. the thing. When has anybody... Okay, I'm generalizing here, so I'm sure somebody's going to jump in the Discord and be like, hey, I did that. Yeah. But let's be realistic. When has anybody ever gone to a restaurant and ordered turkey? No, no. Literally no. nobody does that. <laughs> I mean, like, there's maybe one, like, I could see, like, an open-faced turkey sandwich, but I no, really no. only... No, I'm talking about, like, like, getting turkey breast. Like, just oh, going God, to a store no. and ordering turkey. No, yeah. I mean, maybe for, like, a lunch meat sandwich, but no. no Again, no. <laughs> yeah, you're getting a sandwich, but nobody just orders turkey as their entree. No. No, never. So here's what I would say. If you're going to... You're, you have to have a protein at Thanksgiving dinner, of course. Yeah. Either just go get rotisserie chickens from, like, Costco or something. Yeah. Or be a man and get a brisket. Like, <laughs> I'm when I start hosting Thanksgiving dinners, it's going to be brisket every time. Where, where do you land on ham? Because at Thanksgiving, like ham and pineapple, honey, brown sugar, like. So I'm not a huge ham fan, but I prefer ham for Christmas than Thanksgiving. Okay, yeah, that's fine. I just I see ham as like a an all-purpose winter holiday food. I eat sure. it both. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to knock you for having ham, but I think brisket's the superior Thanksgiving protein. <laughs> yeah. From there, I think it goes stuffing when done right. Yeah, good stuffing is awesome. Bad stuffing is ugh. awful. <laughs> yeah. Um, probably then it goes to green bean casserole for me. Oh, interesting. Corn souffle, mashed Ooh. potatoes, and I put the sweet potatoes probably at the bottom of the list. Oh. And I'm not a I'm not a uh, marshmallow on candy DMs fan. So oh yeah, no, I go no, candy DMs sans marshmallows. Um, biscuits are in the middle somewhere, I guess. Mm-hmm. So I, I may have a few additions that you might not have. I mean, every every person's got their own Thanksgiving like feast lineup. But uh, in my family, we've got uh, like stewed onions as a tradition. Interesting. Um, which I've I've never really had in any other context, but. I think my grandfather loves them, so someone makes them every year. They're pretty solid. Um, my brother makes homemade cranberry sauce and homemade yeah. bread, so th- those are always pretty good together. Um, and although cranberry sauce, like I'm not a big fan of like Jellos and gelatins, so it, it like it tastes great because it's just like fruit and sugar. Yeah. But like 
I don't know. I'd rather eat it in any other delivery method. Um, oh, well, I see. So I never eat cranberry sauce by itself. It's always going on a biscuit with other stuff piled yeah, on Yeah, no, it. that's how you should. You should treat it like jelly almost. Yeah, Because exactly. it's not like... Eating it like by itself is... I mean, I'm sure some people do it, but I never really got super into that. It's just like the weird textural thing. Yeah. Um, and then uh, another addition we've got is uh, applesauce, which okay. is kind of a... Um, it's like an old family recipe that's been passed down for generations and everyone in my family loves it. It's, it's honestly great. Um, and I, one, one tradition I've thrown in now kind of the supplement is I make homemade apple cider every year. So that, yeah. that's also, I put that high on the tier list, but I guess that's a drink. So I don't know if it fits. Um, I will say, yeah, like Turkey, just, I have a theory that every single food at Thanksgiving, it attempts to offset how inedible Turkey is. So, I mean, I don't know that I agree with that. Good turkey, when it's prepped well, can be flavorful and delicious. It's just one of the more difficult proteins to do correctly. Yeah, it usually comes out dry. So that's why you have, like, the gravy, the mashed yeah. potatoes, the uh, the stuffing, the uh, even the cranberry sauce. Like, all of that is, like, I don't want to say moist foods, but it's all trying yeah, yeah. to offset the dryness of the turkey. Yeah, turkey done properly isn't – it doesn't have to be dry. But it's it's difficult to do properly. Yeah. So and then really like I'm, not gonna, I'm I'm only eating the dark meat anyway. <laughs> like, okay. Because uh, the white meat, yeah, it's there, but unless it's like soaked in gravy and like that kind of thing, yeah. I'm, I'm off it. But uh, now now desserts. Where do these fall? Ooh, all right. So desserts. Um. I I'm kind of good with just about anything dessert wise. I think typically some kind of pie's got to be there. Yeah. Pumpkin pie's great. I think pecan pie is really great as well. Apple pie is fantastic. Um, I'm trying to think if we do anything exceptional for dessert. I don't. I don't think we do anything out of the ordinary for desserts. My uh, my sister in law makes a, a key lime pie every year. That it's see, that's awesome. interesting because I don't really think of that as a fall food. Not like, at it's, all. It's really refreshing. So yeah. I always think of it like something in the spring or summer. Here's the thing: it's so good that none of us care. That's fair. That's totally <laughs> like, fair. It's Fine just that good. Um, uh, yeah, all all those definitely. Um, have you ever had mincemeat pie? No. I, I feel like I've had it a handful of times. I really liked it the few times that I had Is it. Is that a dessert? I always thought that was, like, savory. Yeah, just on the topic of pies. Oh, okay. But, um, but yeah, I think we got all the big ones. I, I think my top tier is, like, a good apple pie. With uh, ice cream? Whipped cream? Well, if I pop enough lactate yeah, pills. Yeah, sure. That's the thing, like... Uh, the, the entire Thanksgiving day, because this is also a weird cultural thing that I never really understood. This is maybe one of the few aspects of white culture that I can really, like, solidly identify. That, like, people start eating Thanksgiving dinner at, like... 2 a.m.? Or 2 p.m., rather? <laughs> yeah, like, 1 to 3 p.m. Yep. It's just, like, stuff starts finishing, and, like, people start showing up, and then dinner just starts at some point. But it's rarely after 4 p.m. It's, it's bizarre. It's bizarre.